Hi, this is Louis Canio. Welcome to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This fast-paced weekly podcast delves into the latest scientific findings on how we can all live longer and better lives. I'm the dad, and my daughter, Nicole, is a family medicine doc who trained at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. We hope you enjoy this short, informative show, and please be sure to visit thedoctorandad.com. Uh, and by the way, the doctor is abbreviated in that. So it's T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for the show notes um, and other resources to help you learn about extending your health span. Within the notes, you'll find links to a bunch of stuff we discussed. So be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening. Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So this is um, episode 55, and we're going to get an update from you on your direct primary care journey. Um, in October, we did a podcast on your plans to open your own direct primary care practice um, as of the first of the year. And, and now that you're about four months into your new venture, um, I thought it would be interesting to hear about how it's going. Oh, yeah, it's all about you. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, but first, let's let's maybe take a step back for listeners who aren't um, up to speed. Uh, what is a direct primary care or what is direct primary care and how is it different from normal primary care? Um, so that's probably like the biggest um, question and hurdle is like, what is this? And. I think I find that people either know exactly what it is or have never heard of it before. Um, but it is a kind of new way to practice primary care um, where you kind of have just a direct relationship with your doctor and cut out the you know, hospital administration piece, the insurance piece. Um, so you're getting your care directly from your doctor and paying for that care directly to your doctor. And your um, doctor is not billing your insurance for anything. So we're kind of just taking outside of the realm of insurance and um, establish, establishing a relationship just between, you know, myself and the patient where, um, you know, you do a monthly membership model, you pay once a month, um, or you can do it quarterly or, or once a year. And um, whether you come see me 20 times or twice, it doesn't change anything. I don't bill per visit. There's no co-pays for visits. Um, and it's, it's kind of like all encompassing under that, under that, um, monthly, monthly fee. So it is a way to get much higher, uh, quality care because I am able to, see patients the way that I need to see them. So that might be at their home, that might be virtually, that might be in the office for 15 minutes, that might be in the office for an hour and a half. Um, so it's just whatever whatever we need to do, um, we're able to do because your doctor is the one who's making the decisions and and kind of taking care of you. Yeah, and I, I can see how that can be a little bit confusing for people because in this country, we, you know, um, the insurance component is like almost inextricably linked to the healthcare piece of it. Exactly. And it's tough for people to get their heads around 
well, what happens if you separate them? It seems on its face. It can, I guess it can seem on its face that I'm just paying more money and mm-hmm. find you know, I get a little more access, but you know. Well, and it's like, it's the insurance world. Um, you know, we kind of, the doctors in general sold themselves to this third party, you know, payer system. And they, they kind of run a lot of things and they dictate a lot of things and how care is done. And for some specialties, for a lot of specialties, that's okay because it's like those uh, procedural based specialties where, you know, you get paid X amount for um, or reimbursed X amount for whatever it is you're doing. Um, But for primary care, we are reimbursed from insurance based on the your office visit. And the way to increase that is to see more people, do more office visits. Um, And the hospital systems obviously make money from primary care through one, their referrals to in-network, I mean, in-house specialists, but also by our office visits. So the hospital system will say, this is how productive you need to be. This is how many patients you need to see because that's how you you know, make us money and the insurance company sets, you know, this is how much we're going to reimburse for this visit. So the more you see, the more money you're reimbursed, the the happier the hospital system is. And um, you are able to maintain your productivity level and perhaps at some point make a little bonus or something. So yeah. it's like a, it's just a system that disincentivizes um, time spent with patients. Um, it and it also the way it, it seems to go is like premiums seem to be getting higher and higher and deductibles are getting higher and higher. So people are already paying so much. I mean, unless you just are at a company that has really prioritized um, employee benefits and and you've got a great plan for the most part, you know, you're paying a good chunk of money for your health insurance. And what you get from that as far as primary care goes, in my opinion, is really um, kind of bottom of the barrel kind of care. Um, and I can say that because I, you know, I lived it. I, I know what, what that boils down to. Right. But and before you, we, before we go there, um, because we are going to, we are going to get there. Um, Oh, and I'm I'm sorry, I probably interrupted you. Finish finish that thought. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say it 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 doesn't equal, you know, just because you have health insurance doesn't mean you're getting good health care. Um, and at a certain point, you know, I think the doctors are gonna have to, especially primary care doctors, um, are gonna have to take a, a bigger stance on on this and a bigger stand. And I think and at least for me, that came in the way of just out the insurance piece and saying I'm going to take care of people how I want to take care of them and not get reimbursed by insurance and just go directly between myself and the, the patient. Yep. And we should note that uh, it's not that insurance companies are bad people or run by bad people, and it's not that hospital systems are bad people or run by bad people. It's just the 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 way the system is set up, and I guess the incentives within that system. Because if you think about it, you know the insurance company. Their their objectives, in addition to making a profit, are to in order to be competitive, they've got to get their rates low so they can attract those employer clients Mm -hmm. or or individuals. And if you're buying it on your own, 
um, and they've got to compete with other insurance companies. They're kind of doing the same thing. So in a lot of cases, they will go to, to providers, call it hospital systems, and negotiate for you know what, what they're going to pay, let's say, for a primary care visit. Um, and then so that hospital system then is also incented to try to find to try to get the lowest rate uh, right. possible um, from or, or no, the hospital system is, is incented to get the highest reimbursement rate from the hospital, from the insurance company. The insurance company is working the other way. And you and you sometimes read about these situations where Aetna, let's say, is threatening not to renew some big Mm-hmm. you know, healthcare systems contract and everyone's kind of freaking out because every, anyone with, with Aetna coverage, you know, wouldn't, that, that would be out of network at that point. And, uh, uh, you know, it's a big, it's a big problem for those. Folks. Right. So right. essentially competing interest in that. And, but, but the, you know, in the, to, 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 to use some slang, so to speak, you know, what flows downhill yeah. and the, the people most affected in a detrimental way then are the, the doctors providing the care and the patients who are receiving the care. Right. I mean, insurance, right? Like it's kind of like your, your car insurance. Um, you need to have it because if something big happens, you know, you can't go bankrupt over a hospital stay or a surgery that you didn't know you needed. Um, but I think that the problem is, is they have their hand now kind of in every part of healthcare, And it seems like you can't have health care um, without insurance. And that isn't actually true. Um, I think the, the more reasonable way to approach it is you have your insurance for those quote unquote catastrophic events and your primary care. Um, which should be able to take care of 80 to 90% of your healthcare needs um, can be done outside of insurance and your, the quality of care is going to be so much greater um, because there's cash pricing for all kinds of this stuff. Like, you know, when it comes to lab work, for example, um, they have their prices that seem so arbitrary and so high um, insurance companies, I mean, um, for different labs and it kind of dictates what we order. But if you just look at the cash price of these labs, it's like pennies on the dollar. Um, so I don't know. I think that there'll have to be some kind of give and take or, or doctors are just going to more and more go outside of insurance when it comes to primary care. And it, and we should say that that direct, direct this direct model is not, it, it's, I mean, it's a lot of it is primary care, but other other specialties also um, absolutely they're are, are heading in that direction yeah because there are people are fed up you know it's like it's the same it ends up being the same situation um in every specialty some specialties don't need you know all that you know some extra time or they're they're okay with the way things are run and that's fine but other specialties you know it's a it it's across the whole the whole board that there's people who are not satisfied with the way they're kind of forced to care for people under our current model. So before we, we get into your your experience since the first of the year, since um, starting your direct primary care practice, quick little background. You went to Wake Forest Medical School. Um, you did one year as a surgery resident in Charlotte, switched to, to family medicine uh, and completed your residency. I love saying this at the world-renowned Cleveland Cl- Clinic. 
and um, and uh, then so in in terms of of you've been out of residency for is it three or four years at this point? Four years. Four years. So post residency, what was your give us your little your work history? Um, so first year out of residency, we moved to Sioux Falls because Brandon had a one-year fellowship. So I was done with training and he had one year left. Um, so when we went to Sioux Falls, I was not going to start my family practice um, career because I knew we'd only be there for a year. So I did acute care or Sanford Hospital's um, kind of urgent care. And I did that for the year. So kind of did a little bit of everything care program um doing nights weekends and some days um so did that for the year and then when we moved to omaha um that's when i started just your regular outpatient family practice through uh hospital system um just here in town and did that for two and a half years um and so and that we should note that that's a a very large multi-state hospital system so lots and lots of employees Give us uh, kind of a quick quick capsule of, of your experience working um, in, uh, in the, the large hospital system, kind of the good, bad, and maybe a little bit of the ugly. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah, it was a big, it's a big hospital system, like you said, multiple states. Um, and they, everyone was very kind, you know what I mean? And, and they were definitely there was a lot of patient focus, um, which I appreciated, but quickly um, became clear that everything comes down to, you know, the bottom line. Um, so at first it was okay because I was growing my practice, so I didn't have a full panel. Um, so I was able to see the patients I needed, you know, to see and have enough time for them. Um, and you know, I had the support staff and everything was fine. And then things started to get busier. Um, one of the people in the practice had left or she retired. So then we kind of absorbed those patients and um, eventually got to the point where I was like, okay, this is a little bit more like the steady day to day that I will be, you know, that I'll be used to if I stay here. This is more of like a full panel. And I wasn't actually I never even got to like the full productivity. Um, markers but as I grew it became like how many patients can we fit into the schedule because you're not at productivity yet um, and that was essentially just like the median benchmark um, set across the country and you had to meet meet that in order to make your guarantee you know salary and then after your guarantee salary you your entire um, compensation kind of gets based off of your productivity. So it's a, it's a production based compensation plan, um, where you have to watch your numbers obviously. And, um, that kind of boiled down to anywhere between 20 and 30 patients a day, um, in order to just make that kind of median benchmark. And in addition to that, you had these reports that would come in once a month. Um, so it would be your production, and then it would be your patient press gainy, like satisfaction surveys. Um, so they, that had to be at a certain level. Um, and I think it was like, you know, you had to be at like 85% like positive. Um, and 
they would also include all the verbatims that people would like write in or type out. Um, and then you also had to meet quality scores and quality is in primary care is generally around like your patient panels, blood pressure control, your patient panels, diabetes control, um, that kind of stuff. Um, so in order to make your, the compensation plan, um, you have to have certain scores throughout all of these different things. Um, so certainly, certainly seems like competing priorities. So you've got, exactly. you got this priority of, of productivity, which means how many people can you see in a day? Uh, and, and which means, you know, call it what it is, shorter, shorter visits. Okay. So, and, <laughs> and shorter visits, I'm talking like, um, the majority of the visits are 15 minutes. If you have a physical, your template let you have a 30 minutes slot for them, but understand that that, that visit starts when you check in, like, so your appointment time's at 11 o'clock. The 11 o'clock is when you like check in. Right. And then like the 15 minute timers off before the next person like checks in for their appointment and the patient, you know, sits in the waiting room, gets called back by the nurse. The nurse asks a bunch of like questions that you probably already filled out on a form anyways, and that are really not necessary, but you know, because of, um, administrative and legal whatevers, you know, they have to ask like six different times your birthday. And if you feel safe at home, um, and if you're there for like, a, you know, a runny nose and then take your vitals and then come out and let me know that you're ready. And by that time, it's probably like, you know, seven minutes of your appointment left at best. Um, and most people have more than just one simple question to ask, but I'm sure almost everybody can remember a time where they were at their doctor and they were told like, oh, we don't have time to cover all of that stuff. Um, so the time, you know, studies will show it's like anywhere from five minutes to 15 minutes at most that you actually have face to face with with your doctor. Um, so it's to get your productivity. That's that's how much time you're spending with your patient, you know, um, and you're absolutely right. Competing priorities. Like I remember when I talked with the, the CEO when I was leaving, just saying like in that triangle of productivity on one one corner and then patient satisfaction on one corner and uh, quality on one corner, like you can't have all three. So one of those things has to give. Um, and usually two of them give, to be honest, if you have, if you're making your productivity, in my mind, patients are not satisfied and your quality scores aren't going to be where you want them to be. And I'm just curious what the CEO's reaction was to your observation that, that you, you cannot uh, achieve all three. He completely those. agreed. Oh, did yeah, he yeah. was, and I explained it, you know, um, just like where my frustrations were and that it was not the system that I was at at all. It was just the larger problem, you know, of of the healthcare system. It certainly was not just the, the place I was at. Um, and I can't speak for every hospital system, but I can say that this is this is just kind of how things go. But yeah, he totally understood. He goes, unfortunately, this that's just the environment that we are we are in, um, and what we have to to work with. But he's like, I primary care. I mean, I he completely understood and agreed. Said I'd probably be doing the same thing if I were you. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty shocking to <laughs> to you know for the for the head of that organization to yeah. at least not you know 
push back on you know um and a little bit and yeah. support the system that he's leading <laughs> so but well you but, can't you can't uh, you almost can't um argue it you know what i mean like there's there's nothing that anyone can say when you look at and and this is this is i guess what it comes down to um yes other specialties are definitely um also pressed and burnt out because of this but no one more than primary care because you know for a cardiologist um for example if their patients come in and they're they're just dealing with cardiology problems you know and so we have the same kind of 15 minute slots and actually sometimes specialists get more way more time than we do in primary care um because they get specialists you know um mm -hmm. but we in primary care, you can imagine every single question that a patient has regarding their health. We're the first stop for everything. And the question is fair game. So while we're trying to focus on wellness with diet, exercise, nutrition, mental health, um, like vaccines, mammograms, colonoscopies, all that like pushed to the wayside because I don't have time to talk about nutrition when you've got six questions, active questions for me. Um, so you don't have time, but then the patient can come in with, with anything from, you know, old, but also I have this spot on my back I want you to look at. Oh, and also my depression's getting worse. Oh, and by the way, my sister just got diagnosed with breast about that. And, uh, oh, and I need a uh, I need this paperwork for my job filled out. Yeah. Now, there's no other specialty that you can go in and ask all that stuff to. The the best one of the best things about being able to, you know, to be a specialist is one, you're an expert in your field, of course, but then also be able to say, oh, sorry, talk to your regular doctor about that. Like, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I worked out with every single specialist, you know, through medical school and residency. Um, so all specialties across the board, and I, I can't say a day went by when someone didn't say you have to talk to your regular doctor about that. And that regular, quote unquote, regular doctor is your primary care doctor. So, yes, we're there to to help field the all of those questions and take care of all that stuff. But we don't get any more time. In fact, we probably get less time. Gotcha. So let's let's talk a little bit about your your experience in transitioning. So I think w one of the things you did early on was was hire an expert to help you in the in the process. And I'm just curious if you had to do it over again, would you would you go that that route? Um, absolutely. So I didn't have a big gap between finishing up with the group I was with and starting direct primary care. I didn't want a big gap. Um, I mean, we still have to pay our bills and all of that. And I'm at business school. I went to medical school. I didn't know the ins and outs of the legal pieces to opening your own practice. Um, there's a lot of, there was a lot of hesitation around like, you know, making sure that everything I do um, is done the right way. So I don't get like in trouble for something, you know? Um, and yeah making sure well, there's a lot that, of regulations that that surround the medical field yeah, in general oh, for sure yeah as there should be you know to some degree but there's also a lot of like extra fluff that i just you know you have to make sure you do things the right way and i could have the time to 
figure all of that out, but it would have been a pretty taxing kind of thing. And also figuring out how to kind of start a business. What are all the little things I need to make sure that I, that I do? And also how do I then take all that stuff out of the equation? How do I successfully start a direct primary care practice where, you know, the big thing with your success is convincing people about the value of paying outside of insurance. So it was a lot, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that I, with you know, a husband, two kids, um, and bills, didn't feel like I could tackle by myself by any means, or at least, and and it just kept going through my head too. Like I don't want to do this twice. Like I, you got to do it right, right the, the first, first time. The first yeah. time. So well worth the the extra investment there um, to. Well, and to it's interesting. Experts. It's interesting that um, that that kind of consulting practices like the one that, that you hired and even exists, it shows you the kind of the, this is a growing movement of mm-hmm. people like yeah. yourself making this sort of transition. It is an interesting, um, interesting thing that they exist because it tells you so much right there. But yeah, so I worked with Freedom Health Works and would recommend them a million times over um, because they know what they're doing. They, they've done this all across the country with different practices and um, they kind of by their own entity are able to, to get things even at an even better price point, you know? So like you, cause you, you still have to have your EMR system. You still have to have your contracts with labs. You still have to, you know, have all this stuff that you would otherwise negotiate your own price for. And that's kind of been done for you. And I don't feel like their prices them be as, as, uses their services you get their access to their yeah their 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 clout so to speak um and and so looking back on that transition period anything you would have done differently um that that kind of jumps out or are you kind of pretty pretty satisfied sooner (laughs) okay exactly (laughs) not not i mean it would have been two and a half years it was a tough a really tough like six months so i started opened in July so worked with them from June I mean opened in January sorry so worked with them from June to January on like the prep work of opening um and all the while working my full job um with my employed position and having two kids at two little kids at home so like those six months were probably the craziest of my three years um, on earth, <laughs> honestly, um, because it was just like, I felt like I had three full-time jobs and it was just like, didn't feel like I had a second. So in any second I had away from work, work was spent doing prep work, you know, for this. So if you can do it and have the ability to, you know, do it a little bit more, um, have a little bit more time in between, but I probably wouldn't have gone back and changed it because I, I handled it. You know what I mean? It, it still all worked out fine. It was just a pretty, pretty busy <laughs> six months so, and i think you didn't uh a couple of weeks ago you, you spoke to um residents in family practice at cleveland clinic yes uh, yep they and um i'm just curious asked. within that within that you know discussion did you get the sense that more of those folks are thinking of like coming out of residency and going right into direct primary yeah. care as opposed to yep. hospital mm-hmm. system Yep. So I think that's only going to become more common. I think what you'll end up seeing in primary care is, okay, 
do you want to work for an employed position? Like, do you want to go into academics? Do you want to work as an employed, you know, person at a hospital system? Do you want to open a private practice where you accept insurance? Or do you want to open a private practice where you don't accept insurance? I think that's going to become like just the common, like, Mm -hmm. which route are you going to take kind of thing, as opposed to, um, you know, oh, I've kind of heard some mumblings about this direct primary care kind of thing. And maybe I could do it in the future. It'll be much more well known and which is great because the more there are the better um the more knowledge there is about it the more practices that open up the better kind of for everybody exactly exactly so you you opened your doors on january 1 or so um so let's talk about that the experience since then so um obviously um before we can talk about kind of um the the doctor patient experience we got we got to talk about do you have patients Um, So it's a little scary because, you know, you have to always be mindful about the marketing piece, which before, you know, you don't really have to think about selling yourself, you know, as a primary care doctor, um, because usually there's just such a need for primary care doctors. Um, But in this case, you do kind of have to um, work on marketing. But in general, I feel really confident in the direction we're going and and the growth. So, and I'm curious, do you, do you feel comfortable in that kind of dual role, both both as you know the physician and the the business person, um, you know, and, and and kind of the 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 marketer or salesperson? Um, I definitely do, but the caveat to that is I still have that you know um, that I don't even know what I would call it the fallback, you know, with Freedom HealthWorks, because they're still on board, you know, with helping me with some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, if I didn't have them, I would feel a little bit like a fish out of water with some things, because I'd be like, I don't know, is this reasonable for, you know, this ad? Is, you know, is this something bring back, you know, uh, you know, patients? Is this going to pay for itself? Is this crazy? Um, and then do I need, you know, to look more at this avenue, that avenue, Google Analytics and and social media marketing, all that stuff. I mean, there's there's so much information out there and you can do it. You can definitely do it by yourself. You just have to put the time in to learn about it. Um, so I think that I like having the control around my practice, the way that I um, want to practice and take care of patients, but also control around how, you know, stuff is marketed and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I think that um, as a physician, you should have more control. It's almost like you become a physician and then um, you end up just like, you know, checking boxes for your employer. If you're another cog in the wheel. Yeah, Yeah, it's just crazy. Um, But yeah, so definitely an adjustment. I mean, the little things, I'm glad I started out slow because, you know, I draw my own blood in the office. I didn't, you don't draw your own blood as a um, physician. You have the nurse and nasal phlebotomy. It. So that was a learning piece. The lab orders where you have to figure out what blood gets spun with the centrifuge and what blood refrigerated, all that kind of stuff. Um, so daunting to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to do this. But then learn it and you realize, okay, this was really not that. <laughs> this is not a big deal. Once yeah. you do it a few times, then I feel like a pro. Um, so those like little, you know, Kind of stuff that I would otherwise just be like, okay, can we get an EKG in that room? 
Um, now it's like, well, sorry, there's no one that I'm asking to do that. I just have to do it myself. Um, that at first it's like, oh gosh, this is kind of overwhelming. And then you do it twice and it's not hard. So, you know, it's definitely, a, there's definitely a learning curve to it. But at this point, just, you know, what, three months in, four months in, um, I, there's nothing that I feel like uncomfortable with. And, and so give us a little perspective on, how, you know, you, you've explained how your day went um, in the hospital system with 20 to 30 patients to see, you know, you're probably seeing them each at, for anywhere from seven to 10 minutes, unless it's a physical, and then it's a little bit more, but not a lot more. So um, yeah. give us a, give us a, a little bit of the day to day now. So when I have, so, you know, with before you, as far as billing goes. And now with the pandemic, there's a little bit of telemedicine billing that can happen. But in general, it's still true that, you know, to bill for your care for a patient, they have to be seen in the office. Um, so it would always be like, okay, that person needs to make an appointment, that person needs to make an appointment. But so often stuff can be handled with just a, a few questions, you know what I mean? Like a phone call or an email or a video. Um, so a lot of what I do takes place, you know, just from the computer when people have a few questions or, you know, or a phone call and that's that. So I do a lot of like telehealth um, because you don't need to call out of work or get a babysitter or reschedule your whole day to get into the doctor to ask your doctor, you know, three simple questions. But that's what you have to do on the other end, mm -hmm. you know, because your doctor can't take every phone call when they have 3000 patients and 25 patients a day. Like they just can't. Um, but I can, and it's such better, it's such better convenience, um, to be able to take care of patients that way, because I think about it as a busy working mom, like when am I able to get to the doctor, you know? Um, so it's just, it's, you're able to take care of people the way that, you know that they need to be taken care of at their convenience. Um, and then when patients come into the office, I don't think I've had anyone leave in less than 45 minutes and some stay an hour and a half. <laughs> I take that back maybe once or twice for quick little checkups. Um, someone's come in and out. But like a, a guy calls and says, oh, this rash popped up. Um, I'm in the car. Any chance you can see me today? And I'm like, yeah, come right in. Um, so same day appointments are scheduled. Physicals are scheduled. And again, that's usually like a 60 to 90 minute um, kind of thing. Plenty of time to really get to know the patient um, because it's not just about like, oh, hey, like, do you exercise and do you eat healthy? It's it's learning about their like their life and um, and learning about them so that you know how to help them. So there's a lot of talking, a lot of going over things um, that I wasn't able to touch base on before, like, um, you know, details on what their diet looks like. They're able to ask me all the questions that they that they have. I've got people who text me like, is this fine to eat? And I'll be like, yeah, or no, change to this. Little things like that. It's like just you have a direct direct line to your doctor and you can get these things answered as opposed to holding up your questions and seeing your doctor once every six months. Um, yeah, it seems like, so, you, you know, we all, we all know that lifestyle and whether it's, you know, what we eat or uh, our activity or whatever impacts our health tremendously. Um, and 
who better to get lifestyle advice, you know, from than a, than a doctor or healthy lifestyle advice. Yeah. But the if if you do, if you're not in a direct primary care where you've got the the flexibility that that you have, then all you're really doing is is kind of triaging the the immediate crisis and and all of that lifestyle. Um, right. Well, there's yep. just there's no time for it. I would right. think. And that's like such the you know what should be like the bread and butter of primary care and just you know trying to stay well, but you don't have time to address it yet. I just, I used to find myself just like, okay, well, let's just try this medication. Cause you want to, you want to help the patient. You want to give them something, you know, and I don't have the time to, to go over what really is, is getting in the way of, you know, your either healthy diet or us getting your blood pressure down. Um, so I'm just gonna like, let's just throw this at it and you come back and see me in a month. Yeah. Um, because you, you don't have the time and it's I'm not sure why people haven't, picked up on this more. I mean, we all went to medical school and residency and had the same, you know, ultimate goals for people, but you just get thrown into the the system of of not being able to actually practice your trade. Exactly. So, um, and talk a little bit about, I know that you're, you've, you've mentioned that you, the labs you do now around, let's say, an annual physical are significantly different than what you'd done in your in your prior uh, mm-hmm. practice yeah because before you know insurance says these three labs are covered at a physical so that's what you can do um and so often i would you know feel like well you know this person in particular really should have you know a vitamin d checked or an advanced lipid panel checked because the standard one is i don't feel like is good enough for this person or um but I would tell them like, cause most people know that they get their annual visit covered. Um, and I'll say, you know, this one's not, this particular lab's not gonna be covered completely under your, but I really think it's important and I'd like to still get it if you are okay with it. And, you know, they'd ask me, what's that gonna cost? And I have absolutely no idea because no one knows um, until four weeks later when you get the bill. Um, I can't even really ballpark it, honestly. And, you know, that doesn't make sense to, to order labs when that's the, that's the situation. So I always felt like it was lacking. I didn't feel like it. And I, and I was always like the same, like three orders for every single person. Um, and it was like a, a CBC, a metabolic panel and, and a standard lipid panel. Um, but, and that was all because the cost through insurance would have been too high to order other stuff. Um, but now if you just do cash pricing, I've got cash pricing with LabCorp and don't even bill it under insurance. And I can get like, you know, 15 really good, comprehensive, actionable labs between 10 and 15, depending on the person um, for like 60 bucks. Um, so I tell people that, and I'm like, we can definitely do these couple of labs and bill your insurance and it will all be covered, or we can do these. And I kind of explain to them what the labs are. Um, and we won't want it through insurance because it will be probably like $2,000, but we can just do it for 60 bucks if you want to just do cash pay. And people are usually like, oh, 
yeah, for sure. Um, you know, no they're, they're waiting for the sticker shock. and then... Exactly. And no one's ever been like, oh, I don't know. And everyone's usually like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, um, even with some people through their insurance, they're like, oh, yeah, I usually spend like 150 bucks, you know, even with my insurance on my annual labs because, you know, like a vitamin D would be added. And then you also have like the venipuncture fee that's not technically fully covered. So people are like, why did I get this extra charge? And I'm like, that's the charge for the person actually sticking your arm, you know. But for me, I don't need to make money off of a venipuncture. I don't need to make money off of the actual labs. I can just pass on, you know, here's the direct price to the patient, which is how, in my mind, it should be, um, as opposed to six different people along the way making something off of it. And ultimately, uh, the patient pays, pays exactly. more. Exactly, yep. Uh, so what's, what's your advice for, uh, yeah, because ultimately it's, you know, we're in a, in a consumer society, um, so the, the, your, your patients are, or, you know, people in general um, get to choose their primary care doc. Um, so what would, would be your advice for people who are, you know, wanting a, a, a better level of care than let's call it the, the, the standard industry practice? Um, well, probably that just first you should know what you deserve out of like your primary care. Um, and you should have, you know, comprehensive, personalized care that should just be standard because you're not the same as the next person you should have a doctor who can spend time with you um, and answer your questions and you should be able to get in touch with them without jumping through five different hoops when you have a question and when you don't find that or when you feel like that's so in stark contrast to your doctor now try to keep in mind that it's not your doctor's fault most of the time almost all of the time no one we did not go to you know into primary care you know to to be on the productivity train and, and make money we are like the, the lowest paid physicians next to the poor pediatricians um so it's not that they don't want to be able to take care of you it's usually just the system isn't allowing them to but you should be able to get that um, and if you don't feel like you get that, then you should be able to bring it up to your doctor and figure out if there's a way to work around it, or you should find somebody, somebody else. Because if you don't have good primary care, you're just, you're just going to end up kind of chasing things and waiting for something to happen. Um, because we, with our healthcare system right now, we like to treat problems, um, because that's the way that insurance pays for things. And that's the way the system kind of runs is we, we treat issues. Um, but your doctor should, instead of treating issues, you should feel like you're on, a, on the um, kind of train of prevention and preventing problems. So find someone else, shop around, talk to your doctor, be honest with your doctor because they would agree like, yeah, this kind of sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep. this, and and look around and find a direct primary care doctor because i think that they're in every state hopefully there's one close to you um and 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 know that you can sort of interview them to some absolutely extent. yeah for sure i mean it's your it's your doctor um so ask the questions you i tell people all the time especially like when my patients go to see specialists please don't leave there with questions because a lot of times people will feel rushed or the I can't ask this or that, or I can't get clarification. Like it's your health. It's your life. Don't leave there unsure what the doctor just said to you. Uh, make them explain it to you again. Um, 
you know, or find somebody else who, who will. Well, great. I, I, we may probably will check in with you, let's say towards the end of the year to see how your, how your uh, experiences are uh, progressing, but sounds like, um, sounds like it's a, it's, it's a pretty good, um, pretty good situation. Yes, absolutely. I will never go back. Awesome. Awesome. Good to know. Well, congrats on uh, on your success to date, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, further updates, and uh, we'll let you get back to your, your, your patients and your direct primary care practice. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, doctor. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening. You can visit thedoctorandad.com. That's spelled T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D. DAD.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.